Thank you for downloading the podcast. We believe the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. You can turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. I was going to go to 2 Corinthians 9, but the Lord really began to deal with me along these lines, meditating upon the Word and praying, spending time with the Lord which all of us need to do. And, and I have preached this on several occasions and then some, some fresh revelation. Everybody say fresh revelation. How many like fresh revelation? Some new stuff began to bubble up in my spirit, so I thought, well, all right. So I went back and opened up to the Scripture and began to look at it again. And, you know, it's amazing. In prayer sometimes, you, uh, I don't know about you, but when I pray in the Spirit, uh, you know, the Bible says our minds are unfruitful. So what I do many times is I just recite Scripture in my mind as I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, as I was doing that, some stuff began to come out. I just began to think about this story here in Mark chapter 10 of the rich young ruler. And as I did, the Holy Ghost began to say some things to me. And I began to realize, you know, I'd never heard that before. I never realized that before. And when I began to meditate and look at it, I thought, well, man, that, 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 that needs to be spoken out. That needs to be taught. Amen. Now, here we have a story. Let's begin there in verse Let's begin there in verse 17 and we'll read for just a moment and then we'll come back and look at it. Here we have a story of somebody that 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 is seeking. Everybody say seeking. Now they're seeking in reality uh, the most important thing that life can afford you and that is finding out what it takes to live eternally. Amen. Not in punishment uh, not under the, uh, uh, the guise of judgment and punishment, but to live uh, forever, eternally uh, with God in heaven. Amen? Where that life after death is wonderful. It's, it's, it's pleasurable. Uh, I made this statement. I believe it was in prayer on Tuesday night. Isn't it amazing how before you got here, uh, when you were conceived in your mother's womb in the nine months that you lived in your mother's womb, you were totally taken care of. Uh, you didn't have to ask for anything. Everything was supplied for you. Uh, uh, everything was given to you. Now, you, you, you're born, then you come onto the earth, then you live whatever your span of life, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever you have faith for, whatever satisfies you, amen? And then you die, uh, you pass on, you go to your reward, you go to heaven. And then the same thing is true. Everything is taken care of. Now, remember in creation, we just finished studying redemption. God put man in the garden. And in the garden, it was kind of like being in the womb. You know, there was no stores. There were no monetary system. Everything was supplied for, uh, food and water. And, and you were clothed uh, from the inside out with the glory of God, the, uh, the radiant glory of God clothed uh, his creation. And then man sinned. And when man sinned, he became dependent upon his own ability for survival. That has been ingrained in us. It has been bred into us. It has been put into us and mixed with the component of iniquity, which is selfishness. It has provided or developed within every human being this desire to do it your own way. That there's this satisfaction that at the end of life... If you've done it your own way, really doesn't matter how good it's been or how bad it's been, but if you've survived on this planet your own way, then you feel like you've accomplished something. But then Jesus came. And Jesus, the Bible says, made a way where there seemed to be no way. 
And the reality of living for God in Christ is that God puts you back into that place in which humanity was in the garden where your sufficiency is now in Him and not in yourself. Where He now takes care of you upon the earth as He took care of you in the womb and as He will take care of you in heaven. Ought to get a better amen than that. And most people say, well, you know, i got to go to work and i got to do this and i got to do that. We all have to live on the planet. There is a component of existing upon a planet that has a fallen system that is unique to our generation and our dispensation. But we must understand that God has provided for us the Word, redemption, the Holy Ghost, the church, the fivefold ministry, the power of the name of Jesus, and thousands of other blessings in the Word of God to give us the ability to live life here on earth above the level of those that just go through the motions of providing for themselves. God is our provider. He is our Jehovah Jireh. He is our Jehovah Rapha. He is our Jehovah Shalom. He is our all in all. So let's pick up the story here, verse 17. When he was gone forth into the way, speaking of Jesus, there came, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life. Now notice, notice, first of all, there seems to be an urgency in this young man. He's running and he's kneeling down in front of Jesus. Now, I don't know what has inspired him. Obviously, we know that by Mark chapter 10, Jesus had done a lot of miracles. He had done a lot of teaching. He had confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He had done some pretty uh, unusual, outstanding, miraculous things. So here comes this guy, and he must have understood something. You say, what, what could he have understood? He must have understood that there was some kind of connection between this guy and eternal life. Now let me say that again. He must have understood that there was some kind of connection between this person, Jesus, and eternal life. Now that's a very important point because that's a lot of people out in the world that hadn't put that together yet. That there is a connection between this man, Jesus, and eternal life. Listen, there's not a mountain leading to God in, in which one side is Buddha and one side is Mohammed and one side is Confucius and one side is humanism and one side is science and one side is education and one side is Jesus. No, there's not but one way. I said there's not but one way. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now something, something, whether it was the viewing of a miracle, the hearing of, a, of some teaching, uh, being around him, the presence of the Lord, I don't know what it was, but something inspired him greatly and gave him the revel, uh, revelation, there's a connection between this guy and eternal life. So he came to him. Now notice, and Jesus said unto him, so Jesus begins to respond to this request, why callest thou me good? There is, not, uh, there is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. Now remember, at this time, Jesus is still walking under that old covenant, under the law. So he can't really say to him, you need to get saved. Now isn't it unusual? He told Nicodemus, you must be born again in John chapter 3. 
He told Nicodemus, you don't have to get born again or you're not even going to be able to understand the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus had not yet died. He had not yet suffered. He had not yet risen. He had not presented his blood on the mercy seat of God. But now he's talking about being born again to Nicodemus. But now to this guy, he says nothing about redemption. He says nothing about his suffering. He says nothing about believing on him. Amen. We know that's the only way to receive eternal life. But he asked him, what must I do to inherit it? Therefore, under the covenant that he was in at that time, Jesus answered him correctly. He said, if you want to inherit eternal life, actually, this is the understanding. If when you die, you want to go into Abraham's bosom in the bowel of the earth, according to the covenant that you are now walking in, you're going to have to keep the law. You're going to have to keep the law. Then he says this, and he answered, the rich young ruler answered, and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. So he was doing what he was supposed to do under that covenant to inherit eternal life. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him. Why did Jesus, the word behold means to look and see. So Jesus is looking on this guy, and the Bible says he loved him. He's saying, I really like this guy. This guy is somebody that I think could really be useful in the kingdom. This guy is somebody that I think could really be somebody that would be an asset to what's going on in the world, going on, you know, in all that Jesus was involved in. He loved him. Now, remember, the love of God is always an active force. He's not having an emotional response. He's looking at him and desiring him for God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He is desiring him to come with him through this process that is going to cause him to end up one day being born again and in the upper room. Now I'll prove that to you in a minute. Now notice this. Beholding him, loved him, and said unto him one thing. Last time we taught on that, remember how many were here? We taught on one thing. One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, thou shalt have treasure in heaven, come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now this is where the Lord began to deal with me. This is where the revelation began to bubble up in my spirit. Now listen, this guy is sharp. This ain't no dummy. This guy's obeyed the law from his youth. That's why he's rich. That's why he's a ruler. And he's young. Amen. He's a rich, young ruler. That's why he's got his riches. That's why he's blessed. He has what? He has obeyed the law from his youth. Now, Jesus is desiring to do what? To break him loose from the law. Because there is an element of self involved in the law. Because you have to obey it. And if you obey it, there is an element of self-will involved. But Jesus is not pushing his followers into a greater dimension of law. He's leading them out of law into grace or into not dependency on their ability to obey, but dependency upon him. Are you with me? So he tells him two things. He says one thing, but there's actually two. He says, go, sell everything you have, 
Give it to your poor. Give it to the poor. Come, take up your cross and follow me. Number one, he gives him a ridiculous, foolish thing to do with his money. Not foolish in terms of what the Word of God says, but foolish in the terms of who he is and what he understands about the Word of God. Now think about this. This is a young man who has grown up, who obeys the law, who knows the Word. What's available to him? The Torah, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and the prophets. Are you with me? So he has been taught the Proverbs. He understands people are poor because they're foolish. Have you studied the Proverbs? People in that covenant, in that covenant, in the covenant of law, all they have to do is obey the law, obey the feast days, give the offerings that are required, and God guaranteed them wealth. That's why Israel was so wealthy. So he understands if somebody in my dispensation, in my season in which I'm alive, if they're poor, if they've lived their life out and they're poor and they're beggars and they're Jewish like I am, there's a reason. They've been foolish with their money. They've lived in sin. They haven't obeyed the law. They haven't lived like I have because if they'd live like, live like I have, they would be rich. So God, Jesus tells him, go do what? Go and sell what you have and give it to these people that ain't got enough sense to pay their bills, pay their taxes, or take any money that they have and, 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 and bring any kind of greater help to themselves. Because you give money to most poor people, they spend it and they're still poor after you give it to them. Then he says this. He says, notice, let me read it, get it right. He says, come, take up the cross and follow me. Now, he didn't say take up my cross. He said take up the cross. The cross is always representative. When you see Jesus speaking to people and telling them to take up the cross, he's telling them take up the will of God for your life. The cross represents the will of God for Jesus, represents the will of God. He says, now God's got a plan for you. Here's how you're going to find the plan. Pick up the cross and follow me. Now, he only told 12 other people to follow me. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Those were the 12 disciples. Are you with me? So Jesus is offering this guy a position on his staff, in his ministry. But he's doing two things. He is separating him from what he has produced for himself and separating him from his control over his time. I'm going to let that sink in a minute. Lee and I talked several times in the past couple of weeks about people needing to just serve God. I know we have to go to work. I know we have kids in school. I know we got volleyball games and baseball games. I know we have family get-togethers, businesses, overtime at the job. I know there's a lot of stuff that goes on. We live in 2013. Society is busy. The world we live in is busy. We have uh, computers. We have, we have computers that we walk around. I heard a deal the other day. blew my mind. They said there's more technology in your cell phone than there was in the rocket that went to the moon. That's pretty amazing. You're walking around with it in your hand. We're busy. We're busy. We're busy. But above all of that, there has to come a point in your life where you will make a decision to take up the cross and follow Jesus. 
where you make a decision, I'm gonna make time to pray, I'm gonna make time to study the word, I'm gonna be a part of what God's doing, I'm gonna be a part of what God's doing in the church, I'm gonna be a part of what God's doing in the world, thank you for our missions work, our missions outreach. I'm gonna work, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna do, I'm going to serve God. Uh, Sunday morning, the anointing of God through tongues and interpretation. And I don't know how many, there's how many people came up, 20, 28 people lying on the altar. I'm giving it all to the Lord. I'm going to serve God. These are not people that were unsaved. These are people that are saved. But you've got to make a decision to do what? To give your time. A lot of times we're much more willing to give our money than we are to give our time to God. Because time is money. Time is money. Our time is very valuable. We get a limited amount of time here on earth. A limited amount of time in which we're able to live out our lives. And all of us have things we have to do, things we want to do, things we don't want to do, and we have to try and fit God in. And the problem is, is God doesn't make a good fit. You say, what do you mean? When you try to fit God in, to your life, you'll never find a good fit. But if you will fit yourself into God's life, you will always find the correct fit. Every day, he's wooing you and drawing you to pray. Do you know he wants to talk to you more than you want to talk to him? Every day, he's drawing you to the word. You know, he wants you to read the word more than you want to read the word. Every day, he's pulling and he's drawing and he's saying, come, take up the cross, follow me, I want to put you in the, I like this. This is what came up in my spirit. I want to put you in the womb of what I have provided for you in redemption. Where I can take care of you. I can be your healing. I can be your prosperity. I can be your joy. I can be your peace. When you hurt, I'll be the one that heals you. I will encapsulate you in my blessings and all that I've done for you in Christ Jesus. And you can live life on earth, on a fallen planet, as if I, and the design in which I created for man to live in the first place, totally dependent and totally taken care of by me. But what we do is we step outside the boundaries of that and work. I'm not talking about going to work. I'm talking about all of these things have I done from my youth. You see what I'm saying? We become, we become um, how can I say it, Lord? We become legalistic in our attitude toward God by counting up. I, did, I used to do this years ago. I used to think about, now, Lord, I'd be in a hotel room or somewhere praying and getting ready for a service, and I would think, all right, all right, all right, man. Man, this is going to be a great service. I've been praying for two weeks. I've been studying the Word for two weeks. I fasted three days. Man, if anybody's going to have a move of God, we're going to have a move of God. And, you know, sometimes we would have real powerful moves of God. And, you know, that just went to my head. I'd get in a flow and miracles. And then one time, uh, we ended up in Hong Kong and hadn't got to pray and hadn't got to fast and hadn't got to sit on the, uh, 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 hadn't got to uh, uh, study the word, had to sit on an airliner for three days. And I got there and I was so frustrated thinking, why, Lord, I'm, I've come all the way to a foreign nation to look into the eyes of five or six hundred Chinese men and women. And to get up, and you know who you want to be. You want to be Teal Osborne, or you want to be John Osteen. You want to, come on, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. 
You want to do good? You want to hit a home run? You want to you bless people? You want people going, amen, praise God, you know, and you get up there and you're tired and your body is whipped and you've been on an airplane and you go to a, to a, to a hotel and your feet stick out the end of the bed. <laughs> Leah was right at home. I mean, she was, everything fit her perfect, you know. And you're frustrated and you're thinking, why can't I preach three days from now? Why can't I preach, you know, just give me tomorrow. But you got to do it, and that's, that's when it's good. And you go, and you're, then your feelings kick in. And you're thinking, I don't even feel like God's even within a thousand miles of this church, much less me. And you get up and preach, and everybody just sits there and looks at you. You know, and the pastor keeps looking at his watch. You know what to do. You close the service and say, well, if you need to be healed, come on up. We'll pray for you. And you remember we went all down that whole line of people and prayed for them. And every one of them stood there just like this. Nobody blinked their eyes. And get to the end of the line, turn it back over to the pastor, and you just, want to, you just want to go hide. Because you feel like a failure because all of these things that I have obeyed since my youth. You get what I'm saying? My law that I follow has not been followed. Therefore, I'm insecure outside of that because I'm not trusting the one. I'm trusting in me. I'm trusting in my ability to prepare, trusting in my prayer life, trusting in my ability to study the word, trusting in the gift that's in me, not trusting in the one. And then we stand at the door and all these little Chinese people come up to us. Well, when I got, when you laid hands on me, I was instantly healed, instantly healed. And God, this is what God told me. He said, see, That's what he said. He said, see? Now, here this guy, here's this rich young ruler. And his whole life is geared toward performance. His whole life is geared. Now, God, Jesus is demanding of him, demanding of him. What is he demanding? A radical lifestyle change that takes the dependency of his life off of his shoulders and puts it upon the shoulders of the one he's following. When you follow somebody then they are the one that leads the way. They are the one that shows you where we are or are not going to go. When you follow someone, then that's the one you depend on for provision. When you follow someone, then that's the one you depend on uh, to, to take you to the right place at the right time. And when you take all of that, those elements away from somebody, you can feel real insecure unless you allow the Word to build a security in you when it comes to God. And here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying, and not just for this guy, for all of us. Because we can all take a page out of the rich young ruler's notebook and say, there we are right there. Hanging on to our own works, hanging on to our own excuses, hanging on to our own abilities to provide for ourselves, whether it be financially, whether it be to provide peace for ourselves, or whatever it may be, and saying, well, we're not really totally dependent upon him because we've not yet totally taken up the cross and totally followed him. We've done it from time to time, from place to place. I remember after the storm, feeling so helpless, especially when we discovered that we were not covered with flood insurance. And for a moment of time, feeling the helplessness that anybody would feel in looking at a total disaster 
and see no way out of it. See no way out of it. And then literally in about a half a day, it wasn't no more than a half a day of just all of a sudden getting over the emotions of it, letting my mind settle, letting my spirit raise back up. All of a sudden, a little bit of light called hope. And I remember Leah, we were standing in a closet. She was crying and, and weeping, thinking, what did I do? How did I miss that? All, you know, all the guilt and everything. And I remember, without, not out of my conscious mind, but out of my spirit came these words. God's going to give us a miracle. He's going to give us a miracle. And all of a sudden, because see, here's helplessness, thinking, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? I, and when there's no answer, what do you do? How, how are we going to? The walls are gone. The plugs are gone. The sound system's gone. Everything's gone. The chairs are ruined. The carpet's ruined. What are you going to do? No money. What are you going to do? And then all of a sudden, a spark of hope, expectancy, rising up on the inside. And then you have to do what? You have to follow Jesus. So I didn't run down here and start tearing walls out. I had other people that do that. I stayed on my knees. And I prayed. And I interceded. And I prayed. And I interceded until a confidence rose up inside of me. And I stepped back into that womb in which everything is taken care of. What do you mean? You say, what do you mean? Back into that place of total dependency. Now listen to this. Anytime you can find a place of total dependency on God, you will find a place of total sufficiency for your life. And when you don't, you won't. But when you do, you will. And when you work to get back into that place where you say, God, if you're not in it, if you're not with me, if you're not in me, if I'm not encapsulated in your grace and mercy, then take me on to heaven because I ain't no good here because I can't do it myself. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough ability, enough ability. All I have is you, Lord. All I have is you. And if all you have is him, you have more than enough. You have more than yourself. You have more than your education. You have more than your talent or your gifting. You have more than enough if all you have is him. See, the rich young ruler had himself. And the real story here is Jesus is trying to break him free of himself by challenging his two most valuable assets, his time and his money. Because if you don't have no money and you give all your time to Jesus, then now you're totally dependent upon him. Twelve guys did it. The Bible says they forsook all and followed him. They knew how to work. They knew how to fish. They, they, they knew how to uh, run a business. They worked for, for, for Zebedee. Uh, he had that fishing syndicate there in Galilee. Uh, obviously, they made a living doing that and had done it for probably generations. But they broke that. Jesus broke that dependency upon their profession. 
Some of you have businesses. That's your profession. And you're dependent upon the success of your business in order to provide for you that which you need in order to prosper and increase. That is correct according to the economy of the world system. But if somehow, someway, you can break down your dependency upon that business to do that and transfer it to Jesus and trust him with your boat... We'll, we'll, we'll teach on that in a couple of weeks because it's tied to this. You, what do you mean trust him with? Trust him with your boat, then you will be able, even though, you know, Peter still remembered how to fish three and a half years later. God even used his business to help pay their taxes. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks because that's all part of this. You say, what do you mean? In business, your job, that's just another resource. You go, you work, you give of your time. You say, man, pastor, I come home, I'm wore out. But here's the thing, we're always giving our time to something, giving it to the television, giving it to the movies, giving it to entertainment, giving it to our beds, giving it somewhere. But when we begin to give our all in all to him and become dependent, take up the cross and begin to follow him, then he is the one that brings, I like to say it like this, that garden that man was taken out of, now that garden is in you, you begin to move into that garden. You begin to move into that place of sufficiency in God, where things really don't move you any longer. The economy, the stock market, the, they've laid off at the job, they've cut back on my hours, I had a downturn in my business. Well, if you did, you have an upturn because he's your all in all, not your business. They've laid off people at the job. Well, that, that's not going to affect you. He's your all in all. Well, there's uh, some disease, some a bird flu or something. Well, he's your all in all. He's your sufficiency. I don't know how, I don't know if it's been success in the, quote, American church. How's my time? I can't see that clock. There's a glare on it. Oh, good. I'm just about finished. I don't know if it's the, the, the residue of all that was taught on prosperity and what it produced. But for some reason, a lot of the church basically walked away from its dependency on God. You got churches that would take most of its income Invested in the stock market, uh, buy CDs at the bank, use the income of the church to, quote, make money. Doesn't that sound like a good thing to do? But it's not because it's not dependence upon Jesus. It's not dependency upon him. Because you can put all the money of the church in the stock market and it can fail in one day. And now what do you have? You say, well, what do we put our money into? Africa, Guatemala, China. Who was here a couple of weeks ago? We made a little deposit. A Tanzania. Places like that. That is the system of the kingdom of God. And our faith. See, to do that other. I've, I've sat around the table and listened to pastors. Yeah, for years. How many CDs does your church have? What, what investment account do you have here? And, have and I thought to myself, what got you away from the system of the kingdom? Was it the success that you achieved through operating? Well, God gave me this insight. God gave me this. Great, wonderful. But here's the thing. You still must do it God's way. The end of the story here is, and we'll pick this up next week because that's just kind of my introduction. The guy wanted the right thing. Are you with me? He wanted the right thing but was unwilling to do what it took to get it 
the right way. Now let me say it again. He wanted the right thing, but was unwilling to do what it takes to get it the right way. So at the end of the day, what we want is the right thing, the right way. Because in that, God gets all of the glory. And that's what we want at the end of the day, is to look, you know, just like when we moved into this building and looked around. When we moved into the little building on 45th Street and looked around. When we move into a new building, wherever it may be, and look around. Where we can say of it, look what the Lord has done. Not at what Island Church has done. Not at what some great meeting has done or great office. No, look what God has done. We have depended upon him. We've taken up the cross. We've followed him. We've not done it the world's way. We've got the desire of God in us, but we've achieved the desire the way he desires for us to achieve it. And he has encapsulated us in his blessing, that which he's provided for us through redemption in Christ. And because of that, we live in the womb of the Spirit where faith works, where the gifts of the Holy Ghost operates, where the power of God's in manifestation, where the devil is defeated, where Jesus is Lord, where dreams come true, where miracles happen, come on church, and where God takes everything up and raises it to such a level that when even the community and the world looks at it, they've got to say, these are the ones, Isaiah 61, that God has blessed the seed of the righteous, these are the ones because we know in their own ability there is no way they could have what they have nor do what they do. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands and worship the Lord. Father, we bless you tonight. Father, help us to recognize and realize the need for us to be totally dependent upon you in our health, in our finances, in our relationships, in raising our children, in building this church, in doing what you've called us to do, in seeing the desire that you put on the inside of us come to the outside. Forgive us for doing things our own way, for running our own path, for trying to get your results our way. Forgive us, Lord, and help us every day to take up the cross and to follow you so that we, Lord, at the end of the day, at the end of the age, at the end of our season, whatever it may be, Father, might give all, all, all the glory to you for everything done, for everything accomplished, for everything said. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. God is so good. Thank you for joining us today. We trust you enjoyed the podcast. We extend an invitation to you. Come join us in one of our services Sunday morning, 1045. Tuesday prayer, 730. Thursday evening, midweek service, 730. We are located 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. See you there.